Hello and welcome to Softcats Explain It podcast series. This is episode five of season six and the technology world just continues to gather more momentum than chat GPT at a student dorm. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Field Chief Technology Officer. We're here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech in simple jargon-free language. So the key is in the title, and on that note, I will introduce today's topic. I Bet on Education, part two. Yes, this is a direct sequel to the Bet episode we released in Explain It season five. And we aim for this sequel to be in the mold of the Godfather part two and not speed part two, which ultimately means it's good. And we won't whack anybody and we'll keep the language clean. To share updates and to educate us all, I'm joined by Softcat's amazing head of education, Rachel Clay, our account chief technologist for education, the wonderful Alex Pierce, and a very special guest from our fabulous friends at Cisco, a warm welcome to Ricardo Santos. Welcome to you all. But before we get started, this episode is sponsored by Cisco. Cisco are one of Softcat's most trusted vendors, and we work closely with them on numerous projects. Cisco is a major player in the technology industry with a wide range of products and services that help connect people and businesses around the world. So a massive thank you to Cisco. So let's get educated. So for those listeners that have not listened to part one of this ongoing bet saga, Rachel, what is bet? Well, Dean, BET is an annual education conference that takes place in the Excel Centre now every year. It attracts over 34,000 visitors from over 140 countries, so it makes it one of the largest education shows in the world. It brings together educators, technology experts and edtech companies from all around the world to showcase their latest innovations. And it's really exciting for everybody to go to and see what's the latest and greatest technology out there. Fantastic. So... What we've seen at the Bet Show this year, it was early this year by the looks of it, how can technology be leveraged to improve education outcomes? It's a big one. And what are some of the better trends in this area? We'll start with, we'll give Ricardo the voice on that one. Technology really helps uh, students to connect, to uh, interact and uh, access resources in a much better way. I would say that for students in many ways now that we saw it that using artificial intelligence, using machine learning, collaboration platforms, it really helps learn how to learn. It really helps enabling um, personalized learning, assessment, all of that. And for instructors, actually, and for uh, teachers, it really helps create communities that uh, helps uh, accelerate the outcomes of learning from students. And Alex, I'll bring you in here, actually. So what are the most or some of the most exciting emerging technologies? AI was mentioned there. That's a big one, obviously. What's your thoughts on that, Alex? Absolutely. What was interesting, uh, uh, certainly around AI, there wasn't many partners out there selling solutions yet, but there were a lot of seminars, people talking about what they see, their fears, their opportunities, the op- the kind of growth uh, of AI and how we're such in an early uh, era of AI and um, how this landscape is changing. So we don't know yet how to implement AI in the classroom for teacher productivity, for better outcomes. But certainly people are standing up and saying, look, we should be considering this from a policy point of view. How do we deal with students who might be using it to have their essays written for them? But how do we actually use this as a tool in the classroom, as a critical thinking tool, as an example? 
And what other technologies? Obviously, that did, did, was that dominant, do you think, at this particular bet event? And, and was there, you mentioned there, was it obviously opportunity? And Ricardo mentioned a few, you know, positives. But you also mentioned the worries, I guess, of using those technologies. And do you see, and was it talked about at bet, how that could undermine as well as obviously help personalised learning and education? Absolutely. And, and these are kind of the seminars that were, were talked about. I, I truly believe that AI, we, we will see it in the future, we will always have it with us and it will be an assistant for us. It can be a teaching assistant, it can be a learning assistant, it can be a co-pilot that supports the teacher in the journey that they that they go on. So that's where I think some of those early leaders, those early examples of where they've used it. And during one of our Silk calls, which Silk is our uh, kind of committee of schools that we often meet with we had a python teacher come on and talk about how they're using that to get kids better code but they still had to go and write the code themselves they've still got to learn it but they could see examples of it and that's the kind of thing that we we saw at bet it was great to see one or two companies that have added a bit of ai into their mis to help ask the question of kind of what is this student in today they could very quickly kind of bring that out for as part of their llm but effectively, you know what, AI is a big thing. Next year, we'll see it in more products. We'll see Microsoft talking about it more, Google talking about it more. Uh, and there will be other things that will come out as well that will support the teacher to be able to be more productive. And I think that was one of the big things I took from Bet was be able to see more productivity features that are coming for teachers, such as VLEs, virtual learning environments, teachers can go off, they can assign work to kids. But actually, wouldn't it be great that you've got a stack of 4 million, one partner I saw, 4 million worth of resources that a teacher can just pull and they can go off and give to the students straight away rather than having to create things. And that, again, is where AI fits in nicely. Go and create, find me a resource, create this, assign it to my kids automatically for me. So plenty of opportunities there. So how can schools and colleges prepare students? And was this talked about, you know, the rapidly changing job market? It's The world is changing faster than ever before. So what skills are in most demand? And, and how are these schools and colleges, how, how are they adjusting their learning, their curriculum, I guess, to kind of address the job market? Rachel, I'll come to you on that one first. Yeah, I think there needs to be a huge focus on soft skills. That's really important. Um, creativity and collaboration are two of the most sought after skills in, in the future job market. Um, so all employers at the moment are looking for candidates with really strong soft skills. Communication, problem solving, critical thinking, teamwork and adaptability are the top five. Um, and schools and colleges really need to help students develop these skills and provide opportunities for by doing group projects, presentations and more activities in the classroom that require collaboration and communication. And, and collaboration and communications, you know, it was mentioned, Ricardo, by yourself earlier. It seems to be the common thread, right? You know, of all these technologies, all of these platforms that are now available, that interoperability, that interaction, it all seems to be a massive feature in terms of how these organizations are developing. So, so what, what's your thoughts on that? And, and, and where do you see that going in future? And obviously AI and collaboration tools are part of that and Cisco obviously being a big, big player in that space. What, what's your thoughts on where that's going? Yeah, well, definitely all of these technologies are great to capture data from learners, from, from teachers and in, in the behavior, patterns of behavior. Um, so a number of things that we can highlight and that we also saw a bit, if we think about, for example, student retention, 
So you get all this data from the behavior, social behavior, performance, learning performance, financial, even if they are, uh, you know, all of these uh, includes in that. But when you have a short list of uh, students at risk, you can really use some of this collaboration and multi-channel of communication platform to reach out to students. So that's, you've got a number of benefits. Uh, you can uh, predict if uh, the students are going to learn, if they're going to drop out, or very important things uh, that we saw bad, mental health depression, all of these things. So you can use all these technologies to help well-being and performance of students. So the data points are, are critical because that's what you're saying. Alex, and, and we're seeing this, aren't we, in the market in terms of data, data-centric kind of views, having data platforms, and then having the analytics off the back of those data platforms, the context. I mean, Alex, give some examples, if you can, in terms of where you think data can be used more effectively analytics can be introduced essentially to be able to make some informed decisions because that sounds like not just obviously in this education industry but just across the board we're seeing aren't we Uh, absolutely and i love data i think it gives me so much uh, information about things but i love that trend side of things as well and wouldn't it be great to be able to have all the interactions a student makes Uh, One of the examples I like to talk about, wouldn't it be great that we can actually have students and understand when they're changing there to there because they're using the wrong there and that can be an intervention. You can help that student around different things. Another one is, wouldn't it be great that you could see maybe when they do sports, whether that's personal sports, and all of a sudden they get to exam time and the results are starting to drop down. But if you've been able to see the fact that also at the same time that their results are dropping down and that's what they're doing from a running point of view well I'm gonna make that's trend analysis and maybe all it is an intervention of being able to turn around to this and say why don't you go off and do a bit more running still and if you can start getting that trend analysis not just from your school but from your whole area your whole country yeah it's okay you're not going to see names you've got to still do data privacy but if we can start to see those kind of trends and that data for all students and you can say you know what all females, all males, they're doing this. The World Cup came on. The kids have actually dropped. Wouldn't that be great to be able to help students and actually empower them to also understand that as well? And that's more of a vision, I know, but that data, that side of things and people going changing MISs, we started to see that. We started to see the big data lakes inside of the Microsoft platform, the Google platform and third parties. I think the opportunity for this is huge. We're still a few years away from that kind of thing because there is also this kind of legality and GDPR kind of side of things. But stick that on top of AI where you can just ask ask it as well. All of a sudden, we've got huge opportunities in the education space. I think where we're seeing quite a lot at the moment as well is um, in personalised learning is where teachers can actually tailor um, what's going on for that student. So they're looking at the trends within the data and they're saying, right, for that student, we need to implement X, Y, and Z to make sure they get to their grade, predicted grade of B, for example. And it just identifies where they need that additional support or indeed additional resources to help them to succeed. And is that a whole different set of education for the educators as well, in terms of how they're looking to develop the curriculum, but also their own skill set to be able to deliver that extra value, I guess, to the student and to the faculty or to the university, et cetera. Yeah, interesting point that because um, one of the topics of conversation that came up time and time and again was how important it is now to educate the teacher and even as simple as how they use the technology at the front of the classroom. Lots of teachers are 
afraid to use tech in front of students in case it goes wrong and, and the impact it has on the lesson. So we're, we're seeing quite a few colleges now actually have a full-time space where the teachers can go in their PPP time and go up and learn how to use that technology effectively, go and look at data. How can they use that data to the best of their ability to help improve student outcomes? And that's becoming almost a full-time position for somebody in a school to be a teacher tech trainer, which we haven't really seen that before. I've been a teacher myself, university teacher for 20 years, uh, and I think that's very, very dear and close to me. It's really hard to be in front of, you know, uh, students, all that, and still have to manage all the technology. So this this sense of technology being invisible is very important. Um, And uh, I think some of the practical things uh, about technology adoption for teachers is is, um, how useful technology is. One practical example is about assessment. So if, if we use data and technology in many ways from, uh, okay, so how was the performance of the, this class today, level of uh, understanding, uh, assessment, uh, class after class, lesson after lesson, not at the end of the term. So you can really react and, and adjust the curriculum and all the pedagogy around it. So so I think it's important to have uh, this technology, but it needs to be invisible. <laughs> it needs to be useful. That's very important for teacher adoption, I think. I, I agree, Rachel, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's an interesting thing, right? Because we, we, we're talking about this a lot um, within SoftCat in terms of our customers being able to measure experience and measure the outcome from that experience. And interestingly, to, to your point there, Ricardo, you kind of want instant feedback. So if you're doing a lesson, to arrange the students, you need to be able to surely provide a, a simple way, a method, similarly to how we rate a podcast or how we you know, rate a TV show on you know, on the streaming channels. How do you rate your lesson? Because surely that data, that telemetry from a centralization perspective can be reviewed quicker, more accurately to be able to shape what's working, what's not working. So it's all about data points, but also that feedback, isn't it? That experience and, and giving the students the ability to feedback almost mm. instantly based on how those things are, f- are functioning is that am i on the right track or am i completely going up in the wrong direction i think you're absolutely uh, spot on uh, I, I think there is a, an additional point to consider as we use technology we can personalize uh, the feedback and we can make it positive feedback uh, so and then it comes all about this gamification uh, so it helps so much because now you just go into next level, next level. And if you're not performing well, OK, why not go into this other path? And then it takes us to what we call adaptive learning. So personalized learning and adaptive learning are very close together. They're like brother and sisters, you know, they're like family. So it's very important. Um, so if we can use technology to be part of the uh, techniques for, for really helping students to learn. That's, that's, I think, the important thing. So all technologies are interesting, but we need to, be, to ask the right questions. If we're thinking about data, what kind of data do we need? How do we use this data? Uh, is it for curriculum? Is it for mental health? Is it for uh, performance? Is it for feedback? For how, what, what is it for? And then, and then we can connect this to a number of other things. But definitely you're in the right track. Uh, but it's about what we use this technology for. 
And improving the learning environment itself is really important as well. That's where the Internet of Things comes into play here. And then you, you're using to create a connected classroom where the devices and the systems communicate with each other to improve the experience. So an example of this, I think we've, we spoke about this on the previous podcast, actually, was just putting sensors around the classroom to identify the temperature, CO2 levels, that sort of thing, which can really impact the learning environment. And whilst that's not um, directly related to personalised learning, it has created a better a learning environment for the students. So it does all marry into one. So Internet of Things is still a big topic of conversation as well. And we saw that a lot about this year. We have a study that we did uh, globally, and uh, we're applying this in, in Europe now. But the, the initial results show that students uh, really look at sustainability, internet, you know, sensors, and all of these things. But the digital experience in campus is is there is a direct correlation with the brand perception of the institution. So interesting enough, so students may choose this institution or that institution depending on what is the experience. And this takes us to another concept that was very, very much discussed during BED, which was the next generation campus. And uh, so the, the wayfinding, navigation, integration of wayfinding navigation with your timetable and, and with your uh, your colleagues and then your teachers, etc., etc. So all of this integrated gives a practical digital experience that they have at home. Somehow they've got digital experience at home and and uh, at work. When they go to school to campus, they demand that they require to have the same level of or at least even better. Because that's the role of the campus or the school emulate what is they're going what's going to happen out there to form this digital citizens, as we call. So number of things, but digital experience is a big thing in campus. So we, we've talked previously about this subject. Um, universities, and, and, and it's competitive, because what you're saying there, you are competing to win students who are paying fees. And those fees, as I understand it, haven't gone up for many years. And there's an investment that's needed to kind of meet the objectives that you've described. Those things are... Um, they cost money. They they need investment to be able to bring those technologies in to the campus, the campus of the future. How do you see that all marrying? Because that's there's a lot of stuff there. You know, student fees not going up, the competitive nature of winning students based on what you described. How do you fund all of that? How do you bring that into being able to deliver and afford it? Because ultimately, if you're not getting the, it's a chicken and egg situation. You're not getting the students because you're not haven't got the technology and the roadmap but you need the money from the students to be able to do it. How does that, how does that all work? What's your, what's your thoughts in that space? That's, a, that's a, probably a big question to answer. Well, I have a practical example that I've seen recently that works very well. I mean, um, when you use technology for, for using like this multi-channel of communication, so you connect WhatsApp, uh, social media, uh, all of these with your contact center, with your uh, you know, list of students for clearing, for example. That, that's a very practical example. Uh, and then you, you can really capture new, new students. Or um, you, you give your, your level of cyber, cyber essentials and then you're eligible for funding for, for research and for government uh, uh, funds, all of that. Uh, so you definitely need technology to, to, to tell the world that you're a secure environment, you're a connected environment, uh, you're a digital 
friendly environment. All of that is very important. How, so how do we how we get all this fun? Is it combination? But the technology is definitely at the center of this. Uh, it's not the technology that will make students learn, right? It, it is a, an enabler. But if you don't have these conditions there uh, well established, it's hard to, to capture and recruit the right students, the teachers, funds, uh, all of these things are very important, but we definitely need the digital environment in place to capture all these funds. Uh, absolutely, and that student experience goes further and beyond that digital experience as well. Um, staying on that digital first, there is this element of where students um, want a single portal that they can go to. Um, that's why, from a strategy point of view, talking to universities, and this is starting to come into colleges and schools, one identity, one identity solution. So it's easy to be able to move around from their VLE, their Blackboard, their Moodle into their Google or their Teams environment and onto the library solutions. These are important things from an engagement point of view. That's why once we actually went and surveyed a whole bunch of students in a university and they came back and said the most frustrating thing with IT is that they couldn't get their Xboxes and Playstations onto the Wi-Fi because, well, actually, if they can't get their Xboxes and Playstations, they're probably not going to get their Windows and Mac devices, which means they're not going to engage with those solutions either. So that, that's kind of that digital side of things. But also, are you going to, is a student going to go to a, a halls of residence that gives them the great Instagram picture or they're going to go to one that looks a bit kind of a bit run down, not been painted for a few years. These are things that kind of psychologically students are looking at going, doesn't that place look way better than this one over here? This student union does all this kind of stuff, but this doesn't. And all of a sudden that student experience of going to university, yes, it's underpinned by digital because we are all digital natives. We will have all this technology. We will have all these things moving forwards. But at the same time, it is that overall arching, you know what, I know I'm going to get a good education experience from this, not just the grade that I want. So, Alex, basically old school sales and marketing techniques using digital platforms to get the audience signed up, basically. That's what it sounds like you just said. Uh, absolutely right. They want to see it. They want to see this. <laughs> I think there's a university, I can't remember. They've got a dog. Right, they've got an Instagram for their dog that they go off and they talk about. Absolutely right, and that dog roams around campus, and people can see the dog, and it's known for having a dog on campus. That's part of the student experience. I'd love that. That's, that, that's that's all my that'd be my choice right there. But listen, I'm, 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 you mentioned digital a lot, and you and, and sustainability mentioned a lot, and I can imagine that was a subject that came up. Um, but you know, it's it's one of those things, sustainability that's everywhere, and I can imagine there's that next generation where it's even more. Uh, prominent in terms of their their mindsets uh, and, and where they really are honing their efforts as a community, if you will, of, of people. Um, so the term digital sustainability apparently was something that was discussed. What, I mean, adding those two things together, what, what does it actually mean? Yeah, so digital sustainability was talked about ex excessively, actually, at BET with the conversations that I was having. And it's where people are looking at the impact of does the email have more carbon footprint than sending a Teams message. So are you being as sustainable as possible in the way that you use technology and what's having more of an impact on the environment? Um, and obviously measuring that is very difficult. And right now, even Microsoft and Google can't give us that information as to which is better for from a sustainability perspective. But it's good to know that our customers are looking in that direction. And it's little things knowing exactly how much carbon footprint is coming from sourcing all the equipment they need, sourcing the software, 
in our e-catalogue, for those who don't know that what e-cat is for Softcat, we actually stipulate the, the amount of carbon footprint for each item that's advertised on our catalogue. Um, so customers are really keen on looking at how we can measure and how we can help them measure as universities, as schools going forwards. And also how they can share that with their students because sustainability is so important to the students as well. So being able to advertise how they're sourcing everything sustainably and actually showing the data behind that is really important. Yeah, and adding to that, I think uh, some of the things like uh, um, energy savings uh, is, is very, very important for everyone these days. Um, and I totally agree with Rachel when we think about uh, student perception. They, so they like to go uh, to a place that is sustainable, digital and sustainable. Uh, and that's a very important thing for branding and per- overall perception. I'd like to add one more variable to this discussion here, which is uh, all these sensors and all this digital, and this is something that uh, at Cisco we, we talk a lot about this with our customers, is about security. Because the more you have connectivity, the more you have this uh, collaboration and interactions, the probability for uh, cyber attacks is higher. Right? So you get more vulnerable. So it's, it's great to have digital. It's great to have all these sensors, IoT, but at the same time, you still need, I think it's, uh, it's the price we pay, right? So we, we have all these benefits, but we need to protect and, and control the environment. So cybersecurity is a major thing, and it was actually uh, discussed a lot during that. And, and I think that's in keeping with last year, wasn't it? I think, Alex, security was a big subject last year. I don't think AI last year, which wasn't that long ago, right? The last bet that we sort of discussed, AI wasn't on the on the radar. It was kind of talked about, I think, uh, briefly, but it was more around things like security, wasn't it? And collaboration. So it's amazing how six months later, the new, the new bets happened and suddenly AI is top of that agenda. Data is obviously more prevalent than it probably was before, but security is a constant, right, Alex? That's, that's something that is not going away. Uh, absolutely, and it should never go away. We should always be conscious from a security point of view, no matter which organisation we are, that we're thinking about that, that underpinning of securing the data, securing our students. And it's always interesting that you see them on the news about even hacker groups that's kind of just target schools inside the UK and the US. Uh, you're right, AI was talked about more, but that's an emerging technology. Cyber should always be seen and you should always be looking to be maturing your environments, maturing kind of the thresholds, understanding where your top 10, top 50 threats are going to come from, um, and then trying to do your best to de-risk those environments, make sure your backups are coming through. And we've even seen some data coming out from the Department for Education here in the UK around these are some standards we expect from your schools now. Here's some software stuff that you should be doing. You should be checking it yearly, making sure it's licensed, it's patched. You should be having multi-form authentication enabled. You should be checking your firewall policies that are according to the DPO. So these are very specific kind of things that are coming out from the Department for Education. and That's happened in the last 12 months. We've seen eight sets of standards now from connectivity and cabling all the way through to cybersecurity. And we should be doing this. There's no ifs or buts. No, we should be doing this. We should be protecting our students and the data. And there's many stories, and we could probably do a podcast just talking of cybersecurity threats and uh, where data's been leaked. But absolutely, the security should always be there, should always be maturing for you. And and I think it's always important to to remember that uh, 
if we th think about security, and uh, then I, I was thinking about what your question, how you put all this together as well. So we think about security as a very good example because security and cybersecurity in particular, it, it is a combination at least of three things. It's not just technology. It is technology, it is processes, it, that how you, you, you implement it. But I think there is a huge component of culture. So the behavior and how people see and, and deal with data and sharing data. So if you put all these together, so you have data in, in the center of this, because that's what enables you customize your personalized learning curriculum, all of these experiences. But at the same time, uh, you think about uh, how, how people share this data, how people protect this data. And how, so this is very important. And then that's exactly what I call uh, one of the pillars for a digital citizen. Because they go to university and they, you know, and they become a doctor or an engineer, all of that. So they get that in the university. It's important that during the school time in the university, they learn how to deal with this digital citizenship uh, issues and challenges. Uh, absolutely. And what, one of the challenges I give to schools who don't want to embrace AI or data and that kind of thing, I say, well, if I had two people in front of me as an employer and I have one that's been able to be more digital native, got chat GDP, knows how to assert themselves through an AI bot, and I've got one that hasn't, who am I going to employ? And I'm going to employ the one that does understand these schools and these technologies. And that's a challenge to us in all of education. We need to embrace these technologies. If they're going to be used in the workplace, they're going to be you. I want to have make sure that they are students who are available to us um, as part of their digital and learning experiences. Yeah. And, and I think uh, there should be a challenge. I think if we could challenge the uh, the schools and the universities that are listening to this, I think it would be like, you really need to emulate and simulate what's going to happen outside in the world, outside the university, outside the school. Um, so if, if we are in a medical school, it's very important that we talk about telehealth and uh, remote surgery, uh, all the types of virtual care, all of these. And a number of examples that happen in, the, in, in, in jobs, in, in, in the real world, outside the academic world. Yeah? So we, we really need to, to think about universities. It's very conservative. Right? Universities are a very conservative environment. And uh, all these technologies are out there. Uh, they're much more affordable. They're, it's much easier to, to adopt. And after the pandemic, I think we, we moved to a totally different level now. Like people just accept adopting technology. It's, so it's, it's about the experience of using technology. It's about of the quality of experience using the, the technology and, and what you do with that. So at the end of the day, I like to simplify things, just saying, okay, so if you use all this information, all this, this technology, you get information. What do you do with that? And then we think about it, how we personalize our curri learning curriculum, our approach, our culture to the best uh, outcomes possible uh, to our students. So I think that's, that's what we need to challenge our uh, schools and universities to think about the, the, the adoption of technology towards outcomes. 
So thank you all for joining us today. And as always, thank you, our audience, for listening. And please remember, we like to hear from you. So why don't you leave us a review and please subscribe as it goes a long way to help us to make this better for you. We will be back soon with another episode of Explain It. So keep listening and thank you once again to Cisco for sponsoring this episode.